Are you a real estate investor looking to elevate your income, freedom, and lifestyle? If so, optimize your daily performance by downloading our free guide, Raising the Bar, Five Steps to Elevate Your Habits at ElevatePod.com. In this guide, created by yours truly, you'll learn why you do what you do, how to easily institute cues in your environment to trigger desired behavior, directly applicable steps to create a fulfilling future, and much more. Get your free copy now at ElevatePod.com and kickstart your new habits today. Your future self will thank you. Welcome to Elevate the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chesser. I'm so thankful to have you here, and I'm blessed and grateful to be sitting with Walt Rakowicz today. Wow, you're going to learn so much about transfluence and this little amazing word that can transform everything as it relates to your leadership, you're also going to learn about how Walt led a tremendous, one of the largest real estate companies in the world from the brink of collapse in 2008 to tremendous success thereafter, and exactly how he did it, how those patterns can relate to your success, no matter where you are in your trajectory. Also, by the way, if we are entering into a correction, a market change, then guess what? Today's conversation is so valuable, even if we're not. But I can tell you that, you know, the only constant is change. And today you're going to learn so much about how to transform as a leader and transform others around you and create amazing, incredible results. Elevate Podcast is all about mindset, mind expansion and personal development for high performing real estate investors. I'm your host, Tyler Chesser, and I'm a high performance coach and professional real estate investor. It is my job to decode the stories, habits and multifaceted expertise of world class investors and other experts to help you elevate your performance and lifestyle. Are you ready to take it to another level? It is time. So let's raise the bar today. Welcome back. It's a First time listening, I want to welcome you. If you've been here before, welcome back. We're so excited to have you here. I'm so excited to have you here. If it's your first time listening, if it's your 260th plus time listening, I want to invite you to pay the fee. And all that is, is to pay it forward and share this episode with one person. All you have to do is grab the link, send in a text message, email, post it on social media or a DM. I'm just giving you options. I'm sure you have many more creative options yourself as well. Even word of mouth, we appreciate word of mouth. If you're having a cup of coffee and it comes up, think about sharing the word of Elevate Podcast because the only way that we can continue to grow is if the podcast and the episodes continue to grow in terms of who we're able to reach. We're only able to reach more people if you share that. So I just want to thank you if you've done that before. We ask that you do that one more time today. That's the fee for listening. Again, it's 100% free. Otherwise, we also ask, if you haven't done so already, to give us a rating, review, or subscribe or follow Elevate Podcast on wherever it is that you listen or watch podcasts. Of course, you can watch the podcasts on YouTube. You can listen to them anywhere on every single outlet. You just, you know, all you have to do is plug in, listen, and get ready to experience a transformation because that's what this podcast is all about. Of course, we talk about mindset, mind expansion, personal development, but it's about a transformation. We all have big goals. We have big dreams. We have a vision that we want to create. Ultimately, it, be, it is it comes down to who do we become as a result? Who do we transform around us as a result? And that's what today's episode is all about. So I'm excited about this. I'm excited to dive in. So let's go ahead and dive in. Walt, 
Rakowicz is a leadership speaker, former CEO of Prologis, a global real estate company that is the world's largest owner of industrial distribution facilities and the author of Transfluence, How to Lead with Transformative Influence in Today's Climates of Change. He works with several nonprofits, serves on the board of directors of Host Hotels and Resorts, Iron Mountain Inc., and Ventas Inc., and is the board of trustees of the is on the board of trustees of the Pennsylvania State University. He earned an undergraduate degree from Penn State University and an MBA from Harvard Business School. Learn more at his website, www.waltrakowicz.com and follow him on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook at Walt Rakowicz. And without further ado, please enjoy this outstanding conversation with Walt Rakowicz. Walt Rakowicz, welcome to Elevate, my friend. How are you? Great, Tyler. How are you? I'm awesome, man. And it was really fun to just kind of get to know you right before this uh, discussion. And I just appreciate your preparedness. I mean, we've, we've been going back and forth with a little bit of communication prior to today. And I'll tell you, it's a bit rare. Uh, what do you think that tells the listener about you that you want to really kind of get an understanding of what to expect while also being present? I mean, what do you think that says about yourself? Well, I don't know if, if it says, I'm, I, I think it just says that um, I, I, I'm a man of detail. <laughs> yeah, like you detail. are. Uh, you know, I've had to prepare for so many earnings calls and so many um, presentations um, as being a CEO and a CFO prior to that at Prologis that I just don't like to go into anything unprepared. <laughs> I can understand that. Yeah. So I was, I was reflecting on that when you shared that with me, it was like, yeah, I can understand. I mean, you got wall street breathing down your neck. You need yeah. to be ready for anything. And uh, I can imagine that's created uh, a bit of that and stacked on that, but I'm sure you started a bit with that prior to, which obviously gave you the position and the, the ability to be in those positions. So I'm excited about learning more about your story before we dive into that. If you were to describe yourself in the way that the people who know you best would describe you, what would they say about you, Walt? Um, well, I'd say, Tyler, I'm not 100% sure I know what they would say, because they is a lot of different people, or are a lot of different people, but there are three personal traits that, and I wrote about this in my book, but that I've always tried to be consistent in life with. Um, I want to be a man of three things. The first thing is a man of excellence. Um, I, I don't like to do anything in a half-assed way. I never did and never have and uh, never want to. Um, I, so if I can't put forth my best effort, I just don't do it at all. Um, the second thing is that I wanna be a man of integrity. Um, I try to do my best always to be truthful, but most importantly, I try to do what I say I'm going to do. I think that's really important in business. And the third thing is I, I wanna be a man of accountability. People ask me all the time, what does that mean? And I, I wanna be someone who recognizes that actually I have a responsibility to others around me um, to influence them um, and, and hopefully treat them the way that they want to be treated, but also that I'm accountable to a higher being. Um, you'll hear this once or twice throughout this, but um, I'm, a, I'm a man of faith and, and I believe I have a creator and I think that creator sees the things that nobody else sees. Um, I think he sees everything. And so I've got to be accountable for everything I do, even if no one else sees it. And so those are the three things that I like to at least describe um, that are my personal traits, if you will, they're almost a personal compass for me that I've tried to live by throughout my life. 
I, you know, one of the things that I learned a few years ago is that when you read something, sometimes it's better to understand what's being communicated between the lines rather than just what's being communicated in the lines. And I think what I'm reading in between the lines from what you just described is you're intentional with your purpose and your principles and the way that you are, you know, sort of interacting with your world. And you've done that for so many years. So that that's uh, that's a phenomenal takeaway. But I know the topic of our discussion today is really going to be centered around leadership. And, and also, you've got a unique experience and background in the real estate industry that I think will be super valuable. But why don't we start with sort of your background in leadership and, and help us gain perspective of, you know, when you first sort of started your your journey towards becoming a leader and what that's looked like for your history. Well, you know, there's I've had a, a number of different leadership um, opportunities in my life. I started my career at Price Waterhouse, which is now PwC Price Waterhouse Coopers, and I, I was in a bunch of leadership roles there. And then for the real estate people on the line, um, after I got out of business school, I I worked at for almost ten years at Trammell Crow Company, where I became a partner there, and so I was in a leadership role there. And of course, I'm on three public company boards um, in in a lot of different leadership roles. So that would I, I'm, I'm mindful of the fact that we only have 45 minutes, so I won't do, I, I, I won't go into detail on any of that. I, I would just say that, you know, the, the one probably most significant leadership role in my career uh, that probably tested me the most was when I was asked in 2008 to take over as CEO of Prologis. And 2008 was a very, very difficult time, as you know, um, and, and the company was on the verge of bankruptcy. And and so I would say of all the leadership roles that I've had, Tyler, that was the one that was um, the crucible moment for me and and the one that um, I think most people know me by. Why don't you, um, if you don't mind, kind of bring the listeners up to speed on what Prologis does, as well as give us a little sense of what that crucible moment was all about. Sure. Well, Prologis is the largest owner, um, was when I ran it and still is today, the largest owner of industrial properties in the world. Um, I think they own today close to 1 billion square feet of space. And I, I got to believe they're one of the largest, um, if not the largest landlord in the world, one of the largest landlords in the world, and certainly one of the largest real estate companies. Um, and, you know, I joined the company right when it started, um, which was 1994. We went public and actually this company started around 92, but 94, I was probably the 20th employee in the company. And and from 94 through, um, you know, 99 or so, excuse me, um, 2000 and something for almost a 15 year period of time, we were a darling on Wall Street and, and, we, and we had a sound strategy. We had great people. We had a terrific brand, um, market leader in our industry. And I think a lot of that was due to great leadership. But um, and we had, you know, I think we, we gave shareholders something in the neighborhood of a 20 percent compound annual return on their investment over the first 15 years of the company um, after we took it public. So it was, it was tremendous, but um, we got to a point where we went through a leadership change and, um, and frankly, it got different. Um, and in most people, in most cases, people don't leave companies, they leave bosses, as you know. And um, I was the president of the company and I was the number two person and my boss was the CEO and I loved the company, but I just couldn't reconcile what good leadership looked like with, with him. And um, on one hand, I had great respect for him. I think he was truly one of the most brilliant people I ever um, ever met. Uh, but on the other hand, I felt marginalized by his need to show his brilliance. 
I don't know if you've ever worked with anybody like that, but many times I, I didn't feel listened to, um, especially if I had a different opinion. I didn't feel trusted. Um, I didn't feel like I agreed with a lot of the decisions we were making. And, and I wasn't sure that I was being told the truth. Um, I've worked so, with people like that. I'm sure many yeah. of the listeners are nodding their heads right now too. Yeah. And so, and I could also see a change in our culture. I mean, our people saw it too. And, you know, we began acting in silos and we didn't communicate as a team and we didn't talk in, in the open and we made some poor investment decisions, quite frankly, and we put too much debt on our balance sheet. Um, and in the end, those decisions cost us dearly, especially heading into 2008 um, in the in the Great Recession. We were ill prepared for it, um, and though though I had no idea it was coming, and so I went to the board in late 2007, and I said, "Look, I can't I can't work here anymore. I, I'm I've got to resign." And I had, again, I had been with the company for about 15 years at the time, and our stock was trading at an all time high. We were trading at about $72 a share to put things into context. And from the outside looking in, we still look pretty doggone good. But from the inside looking out, we were a disaster waiting to happen, in my opinion. Now, I had no idea it would be as bad as it was. But you know, the S&P 500, I think, was down roughly 40% on the year 2008. And I left in January. But our mistakes definitely exacerbated that fall. And by November 2008, which is only 10 months after I left, our stock was down 95% um, wow. to $2.20 a share. And we were the third worst performing stock in the S&P 500 behind AIG, who was later taken over by the federal government and, and GGP, General Growth Properties, which was down 98% and later to go bankrupt. And the Wall Street Journal did a front page article about how we were next potentially. And, and so on November 8th, I got a call from the board and they said, look, we'd like you to take over the company and we're going to part ways with the CEO. How do you feel about that? And I, I just gulped. I mean, I said, how long do I have to get back to you? And they said, 24 hours. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> and, you know, I thought about all the people that I had hired over all the years, and I just couldn't let it go. But I was nervous. Um, and, and, I mean, I'd never done that before, right? And it was a crucible moment in in my career. Um, and, and I, frankly... I, Truth of the matter is that I didn't know exactly how to lead the company at that point in time, but I took the job because I I felt like I just didn't want to let anybody down. But I wasn't excited about it. I, I really wasn't excited. I was nervous as hell about what to do about it. And um, so anyway, that was 2008 was my crucible moment in terms of um, my foray, foray into leadership, real leadership. Wow. I mean, talk about be thrown to the fire, oh my goodness. Uh, thrown to the wolves there. It's like, okay, so you made the decision. Obviously yeah. you're nervous, but you're like, okay, I'm, let's step into this and let's, let's make it happen. So give me a sense of what did that first day look like? What did the first week look like when you're kind of assessing the situation? Obviously you have a significant, you know, level of experience within the company and you understood some of the decisions that led to this moment. And obviously the set of circumstances that were out of your control, which were m more so economically related or, you know, uh, across the financial landscape. What did that first week look like? I mean, that's, that's something that I'm always curious about. You know, I tell you, um, I, I, I want to hearken back to when I, when I took my first job in 1979, um, it was really, leadership was all about command and control. Whatever the leader said, that's what people did, you know? Right, and back in the day, right? Back in the day, right. Leader, um, leadership paid no, no attention to culture. Leadership was granted to those people who uh, had done their time 
Okay. And it was a transactional thing. I mean, I went to work, I needed a paycheck, I went to work, they needed somebody to do a job. That's what work was, right? Well, fast forward that to even 2008, which I know is, you know, um, now 12 years ago, but nonetheless. Wait, wait, 14 I, years ago now, come on. 14 let's... years ago, oh my God, <laughs> do the math. Um, no, so what I received over, I, I bet within the first two or three days, I received over a thousand calls, emails, Techs, equity bond, equity and bond investors, sell-side analysts, rating agencies, news, news publications, social media outlets, you name it. They were all over me like a cheap suit. And by the way, they weren't asking, they were demanding for answers. Even though I didn't, I mean, I felt like I was a part of the company and part of the problem perhaps was me. I don't know moving into it, but I had been gone for 10 months and I just wasn't ready for that. Yeah. Online chats were rampant about my leadership and my 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 potential to lead and and our future and our employees wanted answers and town hall they wanted a town hall meeting immediately and you know <laughs> investors wanted us to come to the wall street and tell them what was going on and i mean it was crazy it was crazy and and i just think about people who say you know you know and why did you write the book transfluence and all that stuff the truth of the matter is we live in an, an a very very interesting time where leaders are under the microscope, okay? Um, and, and everybody, they live in glass houses and everybody can see everything that a leader does today. And by the way, if you want to criticize it, you can do it. And, and <laughs> you're, you're out there front and center and everybody reads what you have to say. And, and so it's a, it's a very interesting time that we're in right now. And it's not going to change back to that command and control. It's, it really is different today. And I think leaders have to lead in a different way today. Yeah. And I want to talk about that transfluence um, because I think it's so insightful and it's so important because as you mentioned, you know, 2008, you're talking about 2008, every single listener here is well aware of, you know, the, the economic circumstances that occurred and that was a real estate crash, right? And we had a significant correction in the market. And so obviously there, a lot has happened over the past 14 years. We've seen this market cycle be a little bit longer in the tooth than you typically would expect since 2008. We're maybe experiencing some resemblance of a bit of a correction. We're obviously seeing some things happen from, from interest rates and so forth. Uh, we're seeing a lot happen from inflation inflation. It's a different set of circumstances now, but the patterns are, are similar. And obviously, you think about the cycles and, and you see that pattern over history. But give us a sense of some of the strategic um, moves that you made as CEO, obviously taking over and turning things around. I do want to talk about transfluence, but I think it would be useful for the, the audience to gain insight from a real estate perspective from an executive of a real estate investment trust. What were some of the strategic moves that you made from there? Well, um, I'll, don't worry, I'll lead you into transfluence anyway. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, people ask me all the time, um, how would Wall Street describe what you did from an outside looking in? Sort of get back to your first question, how would someone else describe it? And I, I, I can tell you that I think we made a lot of good financial moves. We, we truly did. We, and we were very lucky and fortunate um, in some respects. And I'll tell you about a few of the financial moves, but then I want to tell you about what I really think happened. Because I think what Wall Street sees and what really happened are perhaps related, but two different things. So what Wall Street saw was that we sold, over a three-year period of time, we sold roughly $7 billion in assets at a time when it was really tough to sell assets. But we started in China, and then we went to Japan, and we 
and we and we included Europe. Um, we went to places where assets were actually a little bit more saleable. And then um, when the when the equity markets settled down a little bit, we were able to sell a number of assets in the United States as well. So we sold about seven billion dollars of assets. We bought back at the same time. We bought back about two billion dollars of our bonds at roughly fifty cents on the dollar and deleveraged the company that way as well. And we and as our stock began to um, recover, we we did do some equity issuances over time, which amounted to close to three billion dollars. Look, we restructured our credit facilities. We rate repaid, repaid off ten billion dollars of debt. Um, and we closed our operations in India, Brazil. And by the way, we closed Russia, thank God. Ooh. And we never got sued, which was amazing. And then in 2011, we created tremendous shareholder value when we uh, merged with AMB. Um, I think we took two companies, one plus one, and made it to not just three, but four. That's a different, um, uh, that's a different story for a different day. But, but that's what Wall Street would say. Um, what I would say is something a little different because I had to operate the company. And the first thing that comes to my mind is Howard Schultz, who ran Starbucks, said one time that the currency of leadership is transparency. And I agree with him. And for everybody to be transparent in an organization, it takes one thing and it takes, and that is trust. People have to start trusting each other. Without trust, you have nothing. So when people ask me, what specific things, Walt, did you do to turn around the company? You. I say to them, I didn't turn around the company. Our employees did. Okay. Yes, I let it. But our employees turned around the company. Um, and they did it by doing a lot of little things right, which I can't even describe to you. And they, they did it because we, as leaders, supported them and we believed in them. And when we supported and believed in them, they trusted us. And so we served them and we helped them to succeed. And then when they trusted us, they worked really hard for us because they cared about us as much as we tried to care for them. And I know that sounds really wishy-washy to some, maybe to some of your listeners, but I'm going to tell you at the end of the day, it is all about day-to-day -day tackling and blocking and leading and, and how you think about your people. And, and so I'm going to just tell you three things that I thought about, tried to think about every morning. Um, and, and I think they're best practices and they relate to each other. Number one, I got up every day and I said to myself, who can I express gratitude today? That's humility. The second thing I'd say is, can you think about somebody that you can give credit to or encouragement to today? That's humanity. And the third thing is I tried to ask myself, how can I be a positive influence in someone's life today? Now, don't get me wrong, there were days that went by that I was so busy that I didn't think about it, but I tried to think about that every day. And I'd write down names and call them or email them um, and make people feel like they mattered. And I truly believe, looking back on it, that is how we won the war.
Um, now, the market's moved in our favor over time, um, but we could have easily lost. GGP lost the battle um, before the markets turned around. They had to go bankrupt. We didn't lose the battle. And I don't, and I think we didn't lose the battle because our people willed it to happen. And they willed it to happen because we were a team and we trusted each other and we made it happen. And that's the true story behind the scenes. You know what I think about, um, you know, the old style sort of organizational chart and it's a, it's a triangle, right? You know, the leaders at the top and everyone else is under the leader. And right. I almost feel like what you just described is that triangle flipped upside down, you know, being the leader who serves the organization. And you right. almost just described sort of the mindset that you are conditioning on a continual day-to-day -day basis to say, you know, who can I express gratitude to today? Who can I give credit to or encouragement to today? What sort of positive influence can I set the tone with today and, and, and give to others? It's almost like you set that standard from the bottom by serving the rest of the organization. Does that resonate with you? It does. And Arthur Blank used that in Home Depot. And um, Frank Blake, who took over as CEO at Home Depot, utilized it. It's called the inverted pyramid. And Frank described, and I wrote about it in my book, Frank described uh, it as the leader putting himself or herself at the bottom and, and being in a weight-bearing position and everybody else, customers and frontline employees and the like being above you. And if you go to work with that mindset every day, um, you'll succeed. And I just think it's so relevant because, you know, we're in uncharted territory today, for sure. Um, but we're always in uncharted territory. History doesn't always repeat itself, but it does rhyme. And there's things, there's lessons from history. There's lessons from 2008 that could be relevant to the next market correction. There's always some sort of correction going on. But I think what you're describing is, you know, setting the tone for an organization and giving yourself the opportunity to achieve strategic success. You know, it's not about this big grand vision that you had in your mind that now everyone did because you, you know, command and control, as you were kind of describing earlier, but it's through this transfluence. So obviously you wrote the book on transfluence. So what is it all about? What is transfluence? Help the listeners understand really what that word means. Okay, well, first of all, Transfluence is not a word that you'll find in the dictionary. Um, trans, actually, transfluent is a word that you'll find in, in, a di in, a dictionary, excuse me, in the dictionary, which sort of means like flowing through. It's like a river flowing through. And I think in some respects, transfluence is something different because it needs to flow through a leader's heart. Um, the word transfluence actually stands for transformational influence. Um, I think as a leader, I think, look, I think you have a lot of objectives to accomplish. But your most important one is the influence that you have on people around you. Um, and I think it starts with the understanding that it's not about you. I think the problem that most leaders have that aren't good leaders is that they're filled with one of two things. And we'll talk about this hopefully in a little bit, but pride or fear. Um, and that pride or that fear taken in the wrong direction um, can influence the way that you lead in a very inappropriate way. And the root cause of pride and fear is typically thinking too much about yourself, worrying too much about the things that are going to affect you, 
um, or thinking too much about yourself um, that, 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 well, thinking you're worth more than you are. And, 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 and so I, 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 the book starts off with this notion that it is not about you, but it is about the influence that you as a leader can bring to other people. And if you can get into that mindset, make people better at what they do, um, you will be transformatively influential in the lives of other people. You will be transfluent and you will therefore be, become a more successful leader. I truly, truly believe that. Now I take that to the next level and we talk a lot about trust. We talk about you know, creating trust and, and sort of how do you become transfluent? Um, how do you create transformational influence? Um, which that's the meat of the book. But in essence, that's what Transfluence stands for. Hey guys, just a quick word from our sponsor, then we'll be right back to the show. This episode of Elevate is brought to you by CF Capital, a national real estate investment firm founded by myself and my business partner, Brian Flaherty. CF Capital's mission is to provide property investment and asset management solutions to help investors like you maximize their returns by investing in high value multifamily communities. If you are looking for risk adjusted alternative investments in quality apartment communities are seeking tax optimized cash flow with appreciation upside without all the hassles of management, you might benefit from learning more about investing alongside our team. You're invited to reach out and learn more about how you can invest with us by visiting cfcapllc.com. We're also currently offering a free ebook called The Bottom Line. 10 ways to increase cash flow in an apartment complex. Whether you're a new or experienced investor, we're confident you'll find massive value in this resource. So go get your free copy today at cfcapllc.com. And now please enjoy the rest of the show. I think about relationships and, and I almost put them in two categories. And this, it, it has something to do with leadership because I think ultimately we, we're all leaders with or without titles. I think that's important for any listener to recognize is that you are a leader in many regards in your life and your business um, in ways that you may not even be aware of. But I think of relationships in two categories. I think of them in transactional or transformational. And transactional means I use you, we get where we want to go, we're done, we wash our hands, we're good. Thank you. Goodbye. We'll never see you again. Transformational means as a result, we are transformed and something that we never realized was possible is now possible as a result of our collaboration our gratitude, our creativity, our resourcefulness. It's almost like that's what you're describing here. This transfluence, this transformational influence as a result of this collaboration and this leading from the heart rather than the head. I think that's right. And I, I'm, I'm going to equate this a little bit to Prologis's business. I mean, I, 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 they, were, they were one of the first companies that I ever saw in the marketplace begin to think about their business more from the perspective of customers and customer relationships than transactional. And you just never saw that in the real estate business. And one of the reasons why we were able to do that is because we were in multiple cities with warehouses. And so when we went in and talked to UPS or some other company, uh, Amazon, we were talking to them about as a logistics provider in multiple cities. Um, and so as opposed to let's just do a transaction and I'll never see you again, kind of mm -hmm. thing, you know? And, um, and so I, I, I really think that um, Transfluence actually does relate in some respects to what we did at Prologis from a customer perspective. But I also think that, you know, treating your employees the way that they would want to be treated or certainly the way that you would want uh, to be treated 
um, is is just good business. I mean, it's just good business. And and um, we figured that out in the downturn. Let me tell you. Well, they call it the golden rule for a reason. You know, it's it's they gold, do. right? And um, <laughs> you know, it, it is interesting. I mean, you think about those transformational relationships when times are challenging. You lean on transformational relationships, and you're thankful that you've made those type of investments instead of saying, "Hey." I win, you lose. It's now we have both won together. And when times are challenging, because guess what? They're never going to be perfect. You know, we're never going to, we're not going to continue to see uh, a bull market continuously. So what happens when things go awry? You lean on those transformational relationships, whether it's in your organization or, or otherwise. So that's super valuable. Why is it important for real estate investors and entrepreneurs to lead with Transfluence or even just embrace this thought process? So I, I would say this, I, I think it's, first of all, it's important for everybody, not just real estate entrepreneurs and investors. Uh, hopefully that's obvious. But I would bet that most of your listeners have lost an employer or two in the last year, maybe more. Um, and what's the number one reason why people leave companies? They leave them because of their bosses. Yeah, people say, well, you know, I, I'm going to get paid more here. But in many cases, if they're really going to get paid more there, but they love their boss that they work with, a lot of cases they'd say, hey, I've got this offer, but you know, I really love working here. Is there something we can do? Now, maybe that's not possible, but in a lot of cases they leave because of their boss. And entrepreneurs, especially those that have employees, should care because it costs a lot more to get a new employee than it does keep your, your old one. And investors should care. I was amazed when I was CFO, we sat in front of investors on Wall Street. They were so focused on the financials of the company, you know, um, and rarely did they ask questions about our employees and what we did with our employees and the culture that we were trying to create and what we were trying to do. I think investors should care about that as they invest in companies, right? I mean, how do companies treat their employees? How do they think about their culture? What are they, what are they trying to do to, to build it internally? Why wouldn't you ask that question if you were investing in a company these days? I mean, it's a critical question. So I would just answer it by saying that. I mean, I think Transfluence, and when you read the book or when your listeners hopefully read the book, I think there'll be a lot of tidbits of information that they'll see going through it um, that will help them in, you know, sort of navigate through the environment that we're in today. But in particular, um, it is very, very highly focused on, you know, people um, and how you create um, really good cultures in companies and places that people want to work. You were talking about 1978, you know, looking back and sort of the command control sort yeah. of thought process and in, in leadership. And it is always interesting to kind of look back. And even I think early 2000s, I think you were still kind of transitioning. And, you know, things have obviously changed in a big way in comparison yeah. to what that was. And, you know, I think technology has a lot to do with that you know, speed of communication, people understand that there are alternatives to being treated in that capacity. But, you know, thinking about today's climate, uh, help me understand or help the listeners understand how you're evaluating. How do you think about the new realities of today's leadership climate or otherwise? Yeah. So I talk about I talk about climates in my in my book, too. And and um, I say there's three climates and, you know, you always have to figure out how to distill things down into two or three things. Right. right of course. <laughs> but I think 
I think there are, I think we live in a world of three different climates. I mean, I call it greater access, a climate of greater access to information. Um, there's a climate of more diversity um, in people, geography, choice, and there's a, another climate of acceleration, accelerating progress that we're all making today. And, and I think those three climates create tremendous opportunities on one hand to enhance productivity, create efficiencies in the workplace, but they also create real brain damage for leaders, I think. I mean, real, real let's just say challenges for leaders. Brain damage is probably not the right word. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I think they create challenges. I mean, like I, like I started to say before, you know, I mean, um, the, 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 the greater access to information, the greater access people have to you, the more they expect from you. Um, you know, when I met my wife, the first time I went on a date, she didn't expect much other than for me to open the door for her, but she didn't know <laughs> me that well. You know, after a year, she expects a lot from me, right? <laughs> the greater somebody gets to know you, the more they expect from you. The greater investors get to know you, the more they expect from you. Um, and so, you know, we live in this world of glass houses where people see everything we can do. They have greater access to information, things that we're doing. Um, you know, and so I, I think with those elevated expectations, I think leaders, it requires a greater drumbeat of communication um, from leaders today. Um, it, it requires incredible transparency. If you're not transparent, people think you're hiding something. Um, I think it requires values-based leadership, but I think leaders also have to be careful as to how far they take that values-based leadership and communicate with their employees where they're, they, they're, where they believe they need to stop because every issue is not, everybody doesn't believe in um, everything that's out there. I mean, sometimes there's issues out there that seem values-based, but 50% of America agrees and 50% doesn't agree. And so, and you have customers that you've got to deal with 50% of which agree with the issue and 50 that don't. So you might be values-based, but, but you have to really think about and be intentional about how far you're going to take that because your value is not always other people's values. So you need to create values internally, predominantly as to how you're gonna treat your people, but you have to be very careful about how you communicate that and where you, where you, you know, draw the line. And, and I think leadership also that really enforces the human element, um, that enforces empathy. Uh, that that where there's real true recognition um, internally, where there's balance and where there's purpose and meaning. Um, that's what we tried to create at Prologis. Um, we, we tried to be careful as to how far we took it, but but as it related to running the company internally, we were we tried to be vigilant about it. And um, and I think in this day and age, um, with great with people with greater access to information. Uh, a more diverse way of thinking because there's more diversity in the people that work in organizations. Um, I think people expect more from leaders and that's what I think they expect. Yeah. It's just a totally different dynamic than uh, what we've seen or what, you know, sort of the, I guess the, the traditional business books would uh, suggest that, you know, you, you interact with this environment because things are just rapidly changing. The only constant is change. You know, you mentioned earlier in the conversation that the currency of leadership is transparency. And without that, you have nothing. 
And what you just described there is, is how important trust is. And, you know, it, it does make me think about, um, you know, folks who are, who are listening to this conversation, who are either raising capital, they understand that the, the centerpiece to raising capital is trust and confidence. And of course, you're talking about leadership. And, and I think there's a lot to be said about leadership, whether you're raising capital, whether you're leading an organization, whether you're, you know, leading a, a third party vendor towards an outcome that you both have objectives that you're looking to accomplish. So give us a sense of what you would suggest for folks to build trust, whether it's in a leadership capacity or otherwise. I mean, are there any tips or, or strategies that you might suggest? Well, I, I, let me just start off. I'm, I'm going to get into what I talk about in the book as the th- as a 3H core. But I want to start off by saying that um, I think too many people are focused on the destiny and not enough the journey. Uh, and, and when I say the destiny, look, we all have objectives. We need to raise $100 million. Um, we need to meet our earnings guidance this quarter. Um, typically, objectives are financial, right? Um, right. Or we need to grow sales by X, whatever that is, right? Um, hit a certain amount of sales this year. That's the destination. Um, the real question is how you get there. And, and I think if you get there in a transactional sense, that's not that doesn't last forever. I think the journey and the most important thing about the journey is how you manage people, you know, and, and how you make them better. And I think if you could get the journey right, um, ultimately you'll get there, um, but, but you'll get there with much more happy participants and, and, and you'll have more longevity to that. Um, so how do you do that? I mean, well, I talk a lot about it in the book, but people ask me all the time what I look for in hiring a leader and a person, right? outside of sheer competence, which of course, everybody you interview, hopefully has some level of confidence, competence or you wouldn't interview them. And I tell them that there's three virtues that I look for in people that I believe truly help foster trust. Um, and they came to me in a conversation I had with John Mack, who was the CEO of Morgan Stanley in 2008, when I took over the company. He called them his three H's. I call them in the book, a three H core. And they all start with H, and I'm just going to describe them real quickly. And I want your listeners to think about each of the words, because I think it, the more you think about them and emulating them, the better leader you're going to be and the more trust you'll, you'll create. The first is humility. Um, you know, Webster's defines it as weak, unassertive, submissive. And if that's the way that you define it, then you don't want to be that as a leader. I agree. <laughs> But most humility is really hard for leaders to understand um, because real humility takes courage and it takes confidence. Real humility is not about being weak, but it's about accepting that you have weaknesses, which by the way, some leaders won't, and being willing to admit them to the point of vulnerability. I think humble leaders admit their fears and are willing to be vulnerable around the people around them. And in doing so, they defeat their fears. Um, Honesty. I believe really any leader will tell you they're honest, but consistent honesty is really tough. Why? Because leaders are good at telling you things that are good news, but they're not so comfortable telling you bad news 
a lot of leaders aren't. But complete honesty requires it. I mean, it requires communicating bad news, even if it hurts. It requires dealing with the elephant in the room when you don't want to deal with it. It requires watching your silence because sometimes silence isn't golden. And it requires doing the right thing even when people aren't watching. Um, so that's the second H is honesty. And the third H is actually one of two words, either heart or humanness. I say heart in my book, but um, I think to have a heart is to recognize the importance of people. Um, leaders who lead with a heart or lead with humanity aren't afraid to empower people, aren't afraid to listen, aren't afraid to encourage, aren't afraid to recognize, aren't afraid to give credit to other people as opposed to themselves, um, and aren't afraid to real recognize that it's not about them. In fact, it's about the people they lead. And so humility, honesty, and humanness are having a heart. I think if you get up every day and ask yourself, am I this or am I that? It might sound really simple, but if you want to create trust, get out of your own way and put the emphasis on other people. Be humble, be honest, and be human. Man, I'm sitting here and I'm like, I just, I, I admire surrounding myself with people like you who have gone through the ringer, who've gone through challenging times, who stepped in the chair and was like, wow, I have a thousand, you know, demands on me literally from the press, from investors, from employees, from competitors, from you name it. And this was the answer. You know, this is not the easy route. The easy route is, all right, let's design a strategy and execute and, and everyone listen to me and here we go. But this is the sustainable route. This is the sustainable. And it's also, by the way, the compounded, you know, transformational route where everyone wins as a result. And, you know, ultimately, this is the this is the approach that I think the listeners, I'm sure, are resonating with very deeply like I am. When I think about all of this, you know, most of this does come down to our perspective and the way that you interact with other people. Right. It's 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 not about me. It's about everyone else. And as a result, we all win. But help me understand. I mean, how do you think about mindset? How does mindset play into the way that you view leadership? Well, um, let me give you uh, let me give you uh, something that I work on every day in terms of my mindset. And um, I've always found it important to hit the reset button every morning. Um, I, I like to start my day with a clear mind and with a direction. And there's two things that help me to do that. One, um, I'm an early morning person, thank God. And two, I'm a man of faith who believes that God provides me direction, okay? And some of your listeners may be and some may not be, I, I don't know, but I, I, I wake up every day when it's dark and when it's quiet, before the phone rings, before emails start showing up, text start showing up, before distractions hit me, and I spend time with my creator. And I mean, I'm just being honest. And I, I reveal everything on my mind. And I somehow I've got this peace and tranquility about me. And I do have direction. And I can tell you a lot of the things that we implemented at Prologis came to me at 4, 4.30 in the morning when it was really quiet out. And so 
Um, I, I'd say that's one thing I do to get my mindset right. And I think the biggest impediment to a, my, a, a sound mind also is fear. I mentioned before, pride and fear. Some fear is really good. Taylor Swift at one point in time said, you know, her biggest fear is when she gets in front of 15,000 people and her heart is thumping every single time she's, you know, she gets fired up and that fear is, helps her to perform better. That's a mm-hmm. good fear. Don't get me wrong. Right. When Drives fear, her into action. Right. But when the fear becomes about you, I fear my incompetence around all these other people, or I fear underachieving. So we're going to overpay for this asset, mm. or I fear being vulnerable around this set of, 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 of employees or whatever it might be. So I'm going to act um, in a certain different way to protect myself. Okay. That hurts leaders. And, and, and so I choose faith over fear. And that's that, you know, both faith and fear have one thing in common. They're both about the future. Okay. But fear believes in a negative future. Faith believes in a positive one. The antidote to fear is faith for me. And because I have faith, um, I can deal with any challenge that comes up before me. I can deal with it. I may not like it, but I can deal with it. And so that's the mindset that I like to put myself in, that I have put myself in. And, and, and you know what? I think the crucible moments have actually forced me to think that way. I mean, that, it, it hasn't come naturally for me. But because of those crucible moments, I think that way today. That's my mindset. I, I, my favorite part of that is choose faith over fear. You chose faith over fear and you continue to do so on a, continue, on, a, on a continuous basis. And that's the difference, right? Because it's not like fear doesn't exist for you, right? It, I'm sure oh, it no. continues to creep up, but you continue to make that choice to choose faith over fear. Oh, absolutely. I fear as much as everybody, every one of your listeners do. I guarantee it. And we all do. Okay. Uh, but, but if you fear too much, then you got to ask yourself, why do I fear that? Well, it, it, nine times out of 10, it's because of, it's about you. You don't want, you don't want to look bad. However that is, it, it, you know, it's like, well, really? I mean, come on. And, and, and when you step back and, and you put your faith into something larger than you, you can deal with it. So that's just my, that's my antidote. Absolutely. Well, this is amazing. Uh, this is such an important conversation and I just appreciate it. Uh, I've appreciated learning so much more about the way that you look at leadership and obviously the listeners can dive into your book transfluence. Of course, we'll put a link in the show notes as to where the listeners can find the book. Um, we've really scratched the surface today. I know you go so much deeper in that book, but I want to transition to the rapid fire section of the podcast. Of course, it's called the rare air questionnaire. I mean, I think this type of leadership is rare. It's uncommon, uh, but that's what makes it amazing. And that's what we, we'd love to make it more common. Uh, so I'd love to ask you a few questions here. Obviously, now being a prolific author yourself, um, <laughs> you're, you're someone who's humble and willing to learn. Give us a sense of if you had to point to two or three of the most impactful books that you've read over the past few years, what would those be and why? Yeah, well, I wouldn't call myself prolific. I've only written one. But, <laughs> Fair. Um, but I do appreciate you saying that. Um, two most um, significant, impactful books for me. Uh, the first is a book called Halftime written by Bob Buford. Um, the tagline of the book is how you move your career from success to significance. It was very, very helpful to me um, in the middle years of my career. Um, the second most prolific book for me or most impactful book was uh, called A Purpose Driven Life. Uh, it was dri- written by an author by the name of Rick Warren. 
and it speaks of the importance of having purpose and meaning in your life. And um, those two books I rely on quite frequently and go back and, and look at quite a bit. Thank you for that. We'll put links in the show notes this is where the listeners can also also find those books. I think it's important to connect with um, books that, so, you know, individuals like yourself, Walt, have found to be impactful. So it's always exciting for me to ask that question. Walt, what's the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis? We talked about getting up early. We talked about connecting with your creator and so forth. But is there anything else that you would point to? Attitude. Um, you know, attitude is the way you elevate your life, I think. Um there, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard Ed Bastian, who's the CEO of Delta Airlines, speak. I have. Um, but I, I was at an event that he spoke at last year or two years ago, 2020. And now this is a this is a CEO who's in the midst of the pandemic. Revenues had fallen by over 75 percent, and he said to his management team, "This is a time that we're all anointed for." He said, "This is a blessing, not a burden. What an honor and privilege it is." To manage at a time like this. That is a man with an attitude. You want people to follow you? That's the attitude you need to have. I love that. And I, I just always go back to, hey, am I acting like the victim or is my attitude the victim or am I the victor on the way to victory? And to me, that's, you know, you have to condition that thought process and you almost have to convince yourself to behave that way before you really believe it. And it's amazing what can happen. Thank you for that. What's the biggest way that you elevate others around you, Walt? I mean, obviously, you've been doing that for so many years. You've been doing it through your book. Is there anything else you would point to? I think by number one, you have to believe. I I, I did believe. Um, after I took the job, I, I said, I only have one thing to do. I, that is believe we're going to get through this. So I think, you, in other words, you have to have faith. Um, I think you have to be positive, which is about attitude. And um I'm going to get back to one last thing that I said earlier. I think you need to treat people the way that you would want to be treated. That's the golden rule. I think people um, lean on to leaders that um, have faith, that are positive, and know how to treat them with dignity and respect. You know, and um, so those are that's how I try to elevate other people. Well, Walt, there's no question that you've elevated us today. Um, your example that you've set as a leader that you continue to set, you continue to be humble and recognize that there's always another level for you. I just want to acknowledge you, man. I want to acknowledge what you've been able to accomplish, not only as a as a CEO, as a leader, as an executive, but as a human being, man. Uh, you're setting the example for so many others in such an exciting way, in a way that says, you know, come with me rather than you must go here. And if you don't, you know, you lose. But I just feel like this is is a transformational conversation. This is a transformational thought process. So I just want to thank you for putting Transfluence out there. I want to thank you for being a part of Elevate. Is there any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you'd like to share with Elevate Nation today? Um, uh, just keep up the good fight. Um, it may be a little bit more difficult year this year and next year than it has been. Um, so despite the challenges, keep the faith um, and, uh, keep working hard and treat people with dignity and respect and things will, good things will happen to you. No question about it. And maybe we're anointed for this moment. Maybe we're anointed. Maybe Walt, we're anointed. Thank Walt you, Rakovich. Thank you so much, man. Tell the listeners where they, uh, they can learn more about you and what you do. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, my website is waltrakowicz.com. Um, R-A-K-O-W-I-C-H, waltrakowicz.com. I'm on Twitter, LinkedIn as well. 
Um, you'll find all of that um, on my website. And this is my book, Transfluence, right here. I don't know if that's even going <laughs> in. Probably not. Okay. Well, it's trying to be. There we go. Trying to be. Oh, well, I'm sorry. I don't know why, but it's not. <laughs> I think it's because I've got everything else um, uh, muted out behind me. So, so Walt. You know, we're going to put links in the show notes as to where the listeners can find your book as well, as well as where they can yeah. connect to you on social media and so forth. Um, but I think maybe you and I are going to connect and talk about how we can do a giveaway of a signed copy of the book. And um, so we'll talk about that and we'll send out uh, an, an announcement for that here coming soon. But I'm excited about that, Walt. But uh, until next time, my friend, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Tyler. Sounds great. And uh, take care, everybody. Elevate Nation. What an awesome conversation with Walt Rakowicz. And I don't know about you, but I tell you, the the, the thoughts on leadership uh, are so important because, you know, whether you are truly a leader with the title or not, we are all leaders. And, you know, everything that Walt shared with us today is so applicable, of course. And it's, you know, we've got a reference point to an individual who led a tremendous massive organization, real estate investment trust in the industrial real estate space from the depths of the recession to tremendous success thereafter. And it did come down to the correlation of how he led, how he led himself, how he led others, and the culture that he created as a result. I just think that it's so valuable. And no matter the size of your team, um, the condition of your family, the condition of your investments, your real estate portfolio, we can apply what we learned today. So I want to encourage you to identify what are your top one, two, or three key distinctions. Of course, I want to encourage you to re-listen to the show because we learn twice as much when we re-listen. Uh, repetition, of course, is the mother of all skill. Ultimately, as we re-listen, as we identify distinctions, I encourage, I think it's always a great idea to discuss with someone else. Who is Who in your network would value a discussion around this topic, this topic of transfluence? I want to encourage you to identify the opportunity to take action, make a commitment to take action, because ultimately knowledge, insight, that's only potential power. The real power comes from taking massive action. Until next time, Elevate Nation, thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoy this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.